You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Look at St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Here's the pitch. A swing and a high fly ball. This could be trouble. It's at the wall. And it's a gunner! He scores! Now, sports on a Sunday morning on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. It's 10.06, sports on a Sunday morning. Thank you, Brian Kelly, for the news. James O'Sullivan is at the controls here in Studio B. Tom Ackerman alongside. We have our newsroom ready to go at all times, and we have a Sunday morning for you where you can kick back. You know, it's a nice day. It's a little cloudy, but a nice day. Why don't you get uh, outside and, you know, roll the windows down if you're out and about and... Listen to KMOX Sports on a Sunday morning. We have some great stuff for you. This is the last show of 2019, so we will look back at some great moments of the decade with Jen Langosh of MLB.com. We'll talk a little Cardinal baseball with her, some of the, the things of the decade, but also what's to come in 2020. I know we're all curious about that. I love the celebrating the decade and looking back, but I'm very much on this show looking forward. I'd like to know, celebrate the present and then look forward to seeing what's happening next. And the Cardinals, I think in 2020, are going to be pretty good. But where do they need to improve? That's where we bring in John Mosellock, the Cardinals president of baseball operations. will give us some ideas as he takes a look at the roster. He's not uh, necessarily finished. He hasn't said that. 2020, we'll take a look at John Mosellock and the Cardinals at 1130 this morning. We have so many fun guests today. I'm bringing back the former host of the show. Ron Jacober is going to be on the show today at 11.15. I'm looking forward to chatting with him and catching up with him and see how his holidays are going. The legendary Hall of Fame broadcaster here in St. Louis, Ron Jacober. Also, we have Chris May, the athletic director at St. Louis University. They have a game today. They take on Bethune-Cookman at 6 o'clock, the men do, at Chaffetz Arena. We'll talk to him about the Billikens and all things happening, men and women's sports throughout St. Louis University. He'll be with us at 1045. How about the college football scene yesterday? Was that something? The first game was an absolute blowout. The second game, if you stayed up last night, was a classic. Trevor Lawrence is the real deal. He is not Joe Burrow in terms of video game numbers, but he is an incredible quarterback. 6'6", can throw the ball a mile. He can run like a gazelle. He is something else. And he connected with Travis Etienne on a 34-yard touchdown with a minute 49 to go to give Clemson a 29-23 lead over Ohio State. And then Ohio State went driving. They have a great quarterback also. Justin Fields, and he had them in position, but he fired to the end zone on a second and seven. He was picked off by Nolan Turner with 37 seconds left. It was a miscommunication. The receiver thought that Fields was going to scramble. He turned to his left. The ball was where the receiver was supposed to be, and it was picked off, and Clemson won the game. Clemson's won 29 straight games. They haven't had a lot of close games. They had one this year at North Carolina, and they were able to escape. And that's why, I know Dabo Sweeney always complained about Clemson's not getting the respect they deserve. Well, I mean, they barely beat North Carolina in Chapel Hill, and that's why they got knocked down a peg. Well, they came back yesterday and beat the team that I thought was the most complete team in the country in Ohio State. And Ohio State fought them and fought a lot of things. I mean, they have a great running back in J.K. Dobbins. They have an outstanding defensive end 
in Chase Young. They have uh, so many great things going for them. They had a player thrown out for targeting. They had a catch, fumble, return for a touchdown, called back, reversed, even though the video didn't look like there was indisputable evidence to reverse the call, but they did. So they had a touchdown taken away. And on the targeting, by the way, that was a fourth and 15. So it ended up being an automatic first down for Clemson, and they ended up scoring. But, you know, Ohio State just didn't have the ability to score in the red zone. And Clemson, to their credit, their defense dug in after getting blasted early. They were down 16 to nothing. They were able to dig in, hang in there, and turn the tables. And they scored 21 unanswered. Ohio State took a 23-21 lead, and then the touchdown, the 94-yard touchdown drive at a minute 18. You just can't let it happen, and Clemson did it on Ohio State and won the game 29-23. So they get rewarded with a visit with LSU. LSU is the top-ranked team in the nation. Could Oklahoma give them a challenge? The answer to that was absolutely not. Oklahoma was flattened in the first half. How bad was this for the Sooners? Joe Burrow, the Heisman Trophy winner, threw seven touchdown passes. That was in the first half. He was 21 of 27 for 403 yards in the first 30 minutes. He ended up with 497 through the air, and LSU destroyed Oklahoma by the final of 63-28. to LSU racked up 532 yards passing total. Justin Jefferson had four touchdown catches in the first half. He finished with 14 catches for 227. Jalen Hurts, he had to be perfect for Oklahoma, and he was not. He was ineffective. And, you know, he he beat LSU a couple times when he was at Alabama. But not this time. LSU is just so tough. On the line, they have great athletes everywhere. They have... Uh, tough-minded players. They have an awesome coach in Ed Orgeron who's recruited well, and he has them all believing. And they have themselves a heck of a team that won in the semifinal, beating Oklahoma 63-28. So that sets up the national championship, which will be on January 13th, and LSU is already at an advantage because they are going to basically host this thing. It's at the Superdome in New Orleans. That's where that game will be played. I mean, that place is going to be absolutely out of control. It's on January 13th. It'll be LSU and Clemson for everything on January 13th in the national championship. Looking forward to that game very much. A couple other bowl games. Uh, Notre Dame looked good, beating Iowa State 33-9 in the Camping World Bowl. Iowa State's a good team. Notre Dame took them down. And then Penn State and Memphis played the highest-scoring Cotton Bowl ever. Penn State beat Memphis 53-39. Nittany Lions defense allowed its most points and yards all season, but they also contributed to the scoring. They returned a touchdown a return an interception for a touchdown late in the third quarter. Penn State won its game. College basketball, Kentucky won state bragging rights in college hoops, beating Louisville 78-70 in overtime. This game was in Lexington. Kentucky dropped all the way to 19 with their recent losses, 
but they beat Louisville, the number three team in the nation. Some college basketball today. You have SLU, as I mentioned, against Bethune-Cookman. You have Illinois at 1 o'clock against North Carolina A&T. SIUE has a game. Go see them against Lindenwood-Belleville. That tips at 2 o'clock. Also at 2 o'clock today is the St. Louis Blues. We're going to hear from them coming up in the next segment. Craig Berube and David Perron discussing their win over Winnipeg on Friday night, 5-4 to four in overtime. Perron had the game winner, and the Blues get the Jets again today. It's an afternoon game at Enterprise Center, and we'll get into it next on KMOX. Also, a big NFL day. We'll be covering that for you right here with all kinds of uh, opportunities to claim home field in the NFC for the Saints, for the Packers, for the 49ers. We'll sort all of that out for you coming up next. But we also have the St. Louis Blues against the Winnipeg Jets. Let's hear from Craig Berube and David Perron when we return. Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. Welcome back to the Munganass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munganass St. Louis Honda on South Limburg on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. And he gets it back. Perron stole it, and he's got a breakaway. David Perron in the clear to win it. He does. David Perron with a great goal. Unbelievable finish, and the Blues win 5-4. Great poke check to nullify the scoring chance. This time around, David Perron freezes him there, and a quick little stick right there. Forehand. Backhand. Watch the way the goaltender is going to bite there. Goes down. The blocker. David Perron with the goal on Fox Sports Midwest on Friday night as the Blues beat the Jets. They have Winnipeg today at 2 o'clock at Enterprise Center. We probably have some Blues fans heading downtown right now to get a little beverage before they head in. Maybe a little brunch downtown before they walk in for a afternoon game at Enterprise Center. Here's Jim Thomas of the Post-Dispatch with David Perron on Blue Note Productions. You scored an overtime here in the preseason. Yeah, and then you asked me about the power play. I remember it too. And you told me not to write anything for 15, or, 15 or 20 games, and I waited till 30 games. There you go. That's good. <laughs> but we haven't seen Mr. Yeah. Overtime in a while, and here he is. Well, we haven't gone in a while, so we've been playing some pretty good hockey, and we got a good streak going on, so definitely was nice to get keep it going, get it. Um, we find different ways to win games, and even though they tied it up late there, uh, we just kept uh, hammering away and um, just find a find Lewis Puck there and go down the other way, and Every, everybody on the ice, including me, seemed pretty tired, so um, I'm glad it went in. Yeah, last time you said you just wanted to get the hell out of there yeah. preseason. W- was a similar thought going through your head this time or no? Well, I wanted to end it because depending on the bounce, if it doesn't, if I don't score, I might have to stay on the ice, and uh, that's not something I want to go the other way. I'm pretty tired at that point, so I'm glad it worked out. Can, uh, what's working for you right now in uh, points and five straight? Um, I mean, I'm I'm lucky to to play a lot of ice time, and uh, I get a good role where I play a lot of minutes on the power play too. With with uh, some of our best players and playing with O'Reilly every every night, uh, we found some chemistry uh, mid midpoint last year probably, and um, kind of haven't haven't looked back that way. So it's <laughs> certainly nice. It's nice to to know your role in the team, and um, everyone steps up at the right time, and uh, we've seen that again tonight. Uh, we had contribution for from a lot of people. David, what was the look and feel of this game uh, after three days off? And you guys came yeah. into the room in those intermissions and chatted about it a bit. Yeah, it's not so bad tonight. This, I think this morning our legs were a little, little bit weird. Um, now that the overtime's over, I'm still trying to catch my breath a little bit. But uh, we'll, we'll get back at it skating tomorrow. And uh, just we're used to that. We, we've we gone through this before. And 
the important part is get the two points. We played some, played some solid hockey, and uh, that's what matters. It's important to keep in mind you got these guys uh, again in 48 hours. Yeah, I mean, we know their game. We've played them so much last year, so there's not much we have to talk about anymore. So we, we know what to expect. Can you take us through the play? Uh, you you double-team the guy. Uh, what Any particular reason why you decided to, to double-team him? There? Oh, I, I mean, we were all tired, so I, I just made a decision. I I knew they weren't going to be, beat us on speed, that's for sure, and Petro was pretty tight on him. He was just barely able to get inside the blue line, and I just felt like I could put a little pressure and see where it went from there, and um, maybe could recover from there. With I think Connor was on the wall. If, if he makes a play to him, then, then he becomes my guy. So. We double teamed them, like you said, and it worked out. Yeah. What? Uh, uh, any particular uh, angle you were you were looking for on the shot, or is it just? Yeah, kind there's of many things that come to my head there. Maybe a shot five all, maybe just a regular shot a little bit further out, uh, and then I, I tend to go on the back end a little bit, try and freeze him and go on the back end. It worked out. Last five times you've been here, counting playoffs, have been one goal games, and yeah. you guys have won all five. I, I guess that says a little something about your team, huh? Yeah, we find the way different different ways. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's going to be another tight game in two days, so uh, we're not we're not too worried about it. Uh, one goal games or three goal games, it doesn't matter. We're we're just trying to win them. David Perron, and they are winning them seven straight for the Blues. They have 56 points, best team in the Western Conference by far. The only team even close to them right now is Colorado, who earned a point last night in a shootout loss to Dallas, 3-2. to Colorado has 50. The Blues have 56. Credit to the Avalanche for keeping pace with the Blues are just trying to pull away right now. The Blues are actually 10 points better than the leaders in the Pacific, Arizona and Vegas. So that's, uh, I mean... With 56 points, or should I say eight points better, eight points better than the best team in the Pacific. It's still phenomenal what they're able to do right now. 56 for them, 48 for Vegas, 46 for Arizona in the Pacific. Blues and Jets today at 2 o'clock. Let's hear from Craig Berube. Well, it's been a while since Ferran's in an overtime, but he's, he's a winner, but he's done that a few times this year for you. Yeah, he's been a real good overtime player for us. You know, finds a way. You know, it's competitive and uh, just, you know, does a good job. And I thought that, uh, well, he played it. He, I thought he played a solid game tonight. Uh, he was really good. So, a lot of guys were. Is that, is that something you're, you're looking for or that you, you, you try to do in terms of he, uh, he came in on a double team and was able to get the puck away, you know, in, th- in three on three play? Puck pressure and guys are there and did a good job getting stripping the puck and getting it and went the other way. and. I mean, they had some real good chances before that, too, in overtime. Just didn't capitalize. Uh, it seemed like it, that maybe some of the early goals, you might have had some coverage lapses. Any, anything you've you, you seen there? Well, there's a couple plays. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's coming back off the break. You're never as solid as you want to be, probably, defensively. That's probably normal. And... Um, so there's a couple breakdowns that uh, we could have done a better job. But I thought overall we were competitive. Uh, I thought guys worked hard. and I thought we created a lot of opportunities offensively tonight. Your uh, last five games in this building, you've, you've won all of them and by one goal. What, what does that say about your team? team over there, it's tight. I mean, it's a tough building to come into and win consistently. We've done a good job of it. I think that... Um, you know, we understand what we're getting into when we come in here, and uh, we're prepared for it. Uh, Peron said he thought 
maybe the team was getting a little tired there at the end and as you get into overtime did you sense any of that i mean these are these are pretty unusual circumstances the way the travel and everything yeah, for this i game. think it uh it played into it a little bit i think there were some guys that were getting a little bit uh gassed um you know it's tough they they they, they play a lot of, they play a lot of minutes some of those guys and trying to match up and things like that so I thought our guys, some of our guys maybe got a little bit gassed, but, uh, you know, like, we're, we're in pretty good shape, and um, I think we should close that game out and not let it go to OT. You know, we can do a better job there. Yeah, those late goals can be uh, deflating. I mean, how do you, uh, the, the guys seem to be resilient, I guess, something that's well, built over over time. They don't, they've, they've been through it, so they've been through it. Um, you know, it's nothing new. And, uh, you know, that's the game nowadays. you got to be able to recover quickly and go play. I mean, that's going to happen. Boy, the confidence of this team right now. That's Craig Berube, the Blues coach, Blue Note Productions, Jim Thomas of the Post-Dispatch asking the questions there. And the Blues have the Winnipeg Jets at home today at 2 o'clock. It won't be long before we have the All-Star game at Enterprise Center. And David Perron, Craig Berube, you got to imagine Braden Shen should be considered, Ryan O'Reilly. The captain, Alex Petrangelo, I mean, Jaden Schwartz is having a good year there. There's some options for the Blues and the NHL to have some players represented. I'm really looking forward to that, what the crowd does to respond to those players when they appear in any all-star activity, what the crowd does for any player that has a St. Louis connection of any kind uh, to be appearing in a game like that. It's going to be a great celebration of St. Louis as a hockey town. It just so happens that the Blues are coming off a Stanley Cup win, but even if they hadn't, I think people had already recognized St. Louis as a hockey hotbed now, even more so. Now it's like times 100. So that's pretty exciting times right now for the Blues who play the Jets today. We'll take a break. We'll switch over to another thing we're known for in St. Louis, baseball. Cardinal baseball discussion with Jen Langosh is next. I'm Tom Ackerman, sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. Welcome back to the Munkadass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munkadass pre-owned on South Limburg on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. 3-2 delivery on its way. Swing and a high drive to center field. Get up, baby. Get up, baby. Get up. Oh, yeah. David Freeze has just sent us into game number seven. This series is tied. Welcome back, Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX. Let's join Jen Langosh of MLB.com for a next segment to talk some Cardinal baseball. What a decade this has been, really, in sports, and it was bookended by two championships, the Blues winning the Stanley Cup in 2019, and in 2011, the Cardinals won the World Series. And, Jen, you know, we look at some of the great moments in Cardinal history 2011's right there as one of the best. We're going to discuss some of the decade here in Cardinal Baseball, but also a big event coming up in January. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Tom. Thanks for having me on. And yes, we're only a couple weeks away now from the annual St. Louis Baseball Writers Dinner, which um, is very special to those of us in the baseball writing community here. But I think also to the community at large, this is one of the few such dinners still left in the country where um, here in St. Louis, every January, we celebrate Cardinal Baseball. This year, we'll um, honor last year's team, which had plenty of achievements. So we'll also do a little dive into some history and, and honor the likes of Ted Simmons and 
and others who have made their mark on franchise history. Yeah, it's going to be great to have Ted there. It's going to be great to have some of the great Cardinals there. Jack Flaherty had a terrific year. Colton Wong won the gold glove. And Mike Schilt, the manager of the year, will be in the house. It's been a good, that was a good story for Mike Schilt of finishing his first full year as the Cardinals manager. Yeah, the newly engaged Mike Schilt. Yeah. So quite a 2019 that he has had. Um, you know, certainly you, you look back at the history of that award and, you know, it's often a tough, it's a tough award for writers to vote on because, you know, what's the criteria? It's, it's a little bit vague, but um, in the history of, of this franchise, Whitey Herzog, Tony Larusa, and Mike Schilt have all now won Manager of the Year awards. And we're very honored to be able to have that award to present to Mike here in St. Louis before he actually goes up to New York to also receive it at the New York Baseball Writers' Dinner. Um, We'll have Colton Wong's Gold Glove, um, an award that I know means a lot to him, one that he's sought after for many, many years and, and, you know, candidly has said that he's felt like he has earned before. But we'll have that on hand. It'll be a great night, and, you know, I think to cap it all, to honor Ted Simmons shortly after the announcement that he is headed to Cooperstown to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. This will be the first opportunity for St. Louis to really celebrate Ted, who, um, as Rick Hummel recently reported, will go into Cooperstown wearing the bird on the bat on his hat. The Cardinals and the winter warm-up and the baseball writers' dinner really kicks off the 2020 baseball season. It'll be in St. Louis with the baseball writers' dinner at the Marriott Grand on January 19th. Jen Langosh with MLB.com is with us, and the Cardinals are the NL Central champions and moving forward what will they do to improve their team well they've made one move bringing in Kwong Young Kim their lefty from the Korean baseball organization if you're looking at them right now here on the morning of December 29th is this a team as currently constructed that can win the division and contend for a World Series I think so. You know, it's interesting, Tom, to have watched this offseason unfold because you have some teams across baseball have been very, very aggressive. And you have teams in the NL Central, aside from the Reds, who candidly have not been all that aggressive. But, uh, you know, you look at the Cardinals, I think you, you know, we can all point to areas where they could improve. I think offensively, you wonder if they'll be able to find another bat, though it sounds like the Cardinals are content to looking within for that. Uh, you look at the starting rotation, which was one of the best in baseball last year. You know, I think they should be just as good next year, though I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals, you know, see opportunity in the free agent market and pounce if something is there. I do like the signing to add a lefty to the bullpen. That's, you know, really been a deficiency for this team for the last couple of years with Brett Cecil not living up to expectations. But, you know, you look at where the Cubs are, you look at where the Brewers, are, you know, they've essentially subtracted, I feel like, this offseason. The Reds are getting better, though I'm not sure they're ready to contend for the division. So, yeah, I mean, I think on paper the Cardinals and the NL Central look as strong as any other club there is. The Cardinals offensively would like to be more consistent. It's the question of how do you go about doing that in the offseason and into spring training to get yourself better in situations, in making harder contact, and in trying to avoid stalling the offense because we saw so much – of, I guess, a Jekyll and Hyde offense, I would call it. Like, at any moment, the Cardinals' offense could erupt and put 10 on you, or they could uh, wither away. And we actually saw that that's how they closed the season, against the Braves and then the Nationals, Jen. Yeah, it is. And I think that's what was maddening, was you saw the potential, you saw flashes of it here and there. And, yeah, I mean, there were weeks this season where, you know, this offense was unstoppable, and there were weeks this year where they were lucky to scratch across two runs every night. So um, consistency is going to be key. You know, they're going to have to hope and expect for improvement uh, from within and certain players. You know, for me, the biggest question as I look is the outfield. And is there going to be enough, enough production from the outfielders to be able to sustain, sustain a deep lineup? And I know 
there's a ton of excitement around a guy like Dylan Carlson, as there should be. But he's probably not somebody who's going to be up here in April of 2020. So, you know, how do you buy some time and not sacrifice offensively in the outfield? You know, whether it's, you know, is, is Dexter Fowler capable of taking a step forward? Can Harrison Bader, you know, improve in seeing, in particular, seeing off-seed pitches and be a little bit more of a threat offensively? What do you do in left field? Is it is it Jose Martinez getting regular time again? There's just a lot of questions. So a lot of options, which the Cardinals love to have, and they've had outfield depth now for years, it seems like. Um, but where are they going to find that production? And as you mentioned, where are they going to find it consistently? That's going to be the key to being able to, to kind of ride, I think, what's going to be a deep pitching staff and make those numbers count. Let's look at back at the decade of Cardinal baseball and some appreciation for some of the greats. Here's 2011. They play Murphy to hit the left. Infielders deep straight away. 0-1 delivery. Here she comes. Swinging a high drive into left. Back goes the Craig. He's at the track. He has it. And the Cardinals are world champion for 2011. They came from nowhere to a astound the baseball world they win this one six to two and they're world champions for 2011 boy a lot of things going on there mike shannon with a great call there at the end here on kmox david freeze with his dramatics chris carpenter pitching on three days rest in that game seven alan craig making that final catch tony Larusa in his final game albert pujols in his final game jen i know you weren't covering the beat at that time but i know that that team captured the baseball world, and when you look back at the great teams in Cardinal history, I'm not sure the 2011 team would be considered one of the best of all time, but the way that they came back is absolutely remarkable. You're right. You know, I think if you look at the roster, there's not a lot of names there that will wow you. I mean, obviously, you had Albert there and Chris Carpenter and Matt Holliday, but um, that was just, that was a resilient bunch. And you think about the journey that that team took from August, end of August of that season to even get into the postseason. And then you think about the series against Philadelphia and how close that was and, and a great series against Milwaukee. And then obviously, you know, one of the, at least selfishly in my opinion, one of the best World Series we've seen in the last several decades just in terms of the drama, the back and forth um, of that World Series. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, especially for, for younger generations, I mean, that is going to be a World Series that resonates here for a long time. And, you know, it also really was a springboard for a terrific decade of success here. And I know that toward the end, the Cardinals weren't making it into the playoffs every year as they had hoped and as they had expected. But this was a team that from 2011 all the way through the decade was competitive until the final days of the year. And I think, you know, as Cardinal fans, you know, certainly you wish that you had had another World Series championship last decade, but I think to appreciate the sustainability of success this organization has had, it's been really special here the last decade, and not many teams around baseball can say or brag that they've had uh, the same sort of success. No, it's well said. 2012, Mike Matheny's first year, the great comeback win over the Nationals in 13, going to the World Series, taking the Red Sox to Game 6, but not winning it at Fenway and watching them celebrate was tough to take. 2015, the team wins 100 games under Mike Matheny. Injury-ridden and, and all kinds of things happening. They are able to make it to 100 wins, but that was also the rise of the Cubs, and I think that sticks uh, with the Cardinals also. That plays a, uh, with Cardinals fans. I think that plays a big part of it also, don't you, Jen, that the Cubs started to rise up at that time? 
Yeah, I mean, you saw the Cubs slowly creeping up, and then you're right. 2015 was kind of that moment where you felt the switch, and you know, and certainly, you know, tangibly, the, the Cubs beating the Cardinals, knocking out of the playoffs, and then you watch the next year. You know, the Cubs go on to win the World Series, and the Cubs, um, you know, kind of reign supreme there in, in the division for a couple years, and so. Yeah, I mean, I think the the frustration for Cardinals fans of seeing their team not make it to the playoffs, you know, then adding to that, seeing the Cubs make it to the postseason and do well, um, you know, certainly didn't sit well here, but you close out the decade, I think, on a very positive note. And now you look at those two franchises, Tom, and you wonder if they're going in opposite directions, you know, with the Cardinals ascending. They have a lot of young talent, a lot of players to be excited about. The Cubs have a lot of questions, and there's a lot of people wondering if their window has closed a little bit quicker than they expected. They're going to have some free agent decisions coming up in, in coming years with a guy like Chris Bryant, or is he going to be even traded this offseason? That's a team um, you know, that, that peaked, certainly, but I don't think they had the rise and the success that they had hoped in terms of multiple championships, and now you do wonder where that team is going to go. Jen, finally, when you think about the decade of Cardinal baseball, and if I were to put two faces on that decade, it would be Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. I mean, it's remarkable to think that these two were the battery uh, back last decade and that they were the ones together recording the final out in 2006, twice against the Mets and then against the Tigers. And here they are again working together in 2020. What a run of success. And when you look back years from now, in Cardinal history, those two will be Cardinals Hall of Famers. One of them is going to go to Cooperstown, and they'll be part of uh, that legacy of that incredible run of success. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you think about how rare it is in baseball today for a player to stay with a team for his whole career. And here you have two players who presumably are going to be with this team, you know, their entire major league career. You know, they're going on their third decade together as battery mates. And to to watch that special relationship, to watch, you know, what Yachty is able to get out of Adam and to watch how Adam, you know, works seamlessly with Yachty. It's, you know, it was one of the joys for me covering that team for so many years. And, um, you know, you do wonder, at least I've wondered, you know, does Adam keep trying to come back because, uh, you know, he wants to kind of end it all with Yachty. I don't know, because I'm not sure Yachty's going to retire anytime soon. But, yeah, it's been a treat to watch those two um, play here, have their careers here in St. Louis. They are going to be fitted with red jackets as soon as they are eligible. Um, But, yeah, to get a third decade with those two players who have been around for so long, I think is very special. And, you know, hopefully something that I'm sure that Cardinals fans appreciate. A great celebration of Cardinal baseball comes your way on January 19th at the Marriott Grand. It's the Baseball Writers Dinner. We've been doing it for years. And the St. Louis chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America is a remarkable chapter. They work extremely hard to give you the information that you want, that you need. But they also do a great thing on this night raising money for scholarships. And, Jen, I know that your work with MLB.com is so appreciated. You've moved into a uh, managerial role of, of many sorts, an editorial role that uh, you still play a big part on this committee, putting together a great night, and we look forward to it. It's going to be an absolute blast. Yeah, I hope fans are able to join us. Hopefully the weather cooperates, but it's, a, it's an awesome weekend to tie in with winter warm-up. And, again, a celebration of 
kind of the ending of the 2019 season, but really then looking ahead to 2020. And Tom, like it's time to get that spring training countdown going, right? I mean, it's, it's right around the corner now. And um, we do hope fans come out and celebrate with us in a couple weeks at that writer's dinner. Tickets are available at Metro Ticks. Just go to MetroTix.com. Look for the baseball writer's dinner on January 19th, and you're going to have a great time. It's one of the great St. Louis traditions. Nobody does it like this group. Nobody. It's, it's awesome. John Rooney will be the MC, and we'll have all the big names up there on stage for you. Jen, thanks for the visit. Have a great Sunday. We appreciate you joining us here on KMOX. Thanks for having me, Tom. We'll be back in just a moment with the athletic director at St. Louis University, Chris May, on Sports on a Sunday Morning. Welcome back to the Munganass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday Morning. Munganass St. Louis Honda on South Limburg on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. It's 1048 Sports on a Sunday Morning. Tom Ackerman with you and joining us is the Athletic Director at St. Louis University, Chris May. A big day for them, another game day for the men's basketball team, which boasts a record of 10-2. and Billikens tip off at 6 o'clock today at Chaffetz Arena against Bethune-Cookman, the university from Daytona Beach. How you doing, Chris May? Tom, I'm doing great. How are you this morning? I am doing fantastic. And the Billikens are really rolling right now. They look good. And uh, Travis Ford has himself a team, doesn't he? Well, yeah, we are really uh, encouraged about a really uh, exciting team and a great non-conference so far. We've got a big ball game tonight. Uh, we got the doubleheader. we got the Blues in town. we got the Billikens in town. So uh, it's a great day for sports here in St. Louis. But Travis... Uh, Travis Ford and his team have really done well. Um, we had a big win in Kansas City, as you know, against K-State. Um, but uh, there's a lot of excitement in Chaffetz Arena right now. Yeah, that's actually a good point. You'd take some of those Blues fans, wouldn't you, over at Chaffetz Arena today at 6 o'clock? Absolutely. That time's out I'm, perfect. I'm going, da- I'm going down to recruit some at Enterprise for a couple hours <laughs> and uh, to uh, see some of my friends down there and then head to our game. But it's uh, it's an exciting time. And as you know, Tom, being a college basketball junkie that you are, there's nothing better than college basketball this time of year. And uh, it's exciting for sure in the land of the Billikens. Yeah, I love basketball because it's a year-round sport. You can play it in any month because uh, you play it in the gym. And especially in these cold winter months, you get into those gyms and you see some great hoops from high school all the way up. But college basketball, there's something very special about having a really good program, having students in the building, having the band going having your professors and your university leadership in the crowd along with parents and fans and coaches throughout the area. You have all that. And I think that's what you're striving for, right? You want to be St. Louis's basketball team because that's what you are. Yeah, no question, Tommy. And you you couldn't have described it better. And and that's really what we've got going at Chaffetz right now from President Postello to the chairman of the Board of Trustees, Joe Conran, who's there every day, to our athletics chair, Bob O'Loughlin, to Dr. Shapitz, to a student body who's really been re-energized by Travis Ford and his team. Uh, The community has been unbelievable in really rallying around our basketball program and rallying around Shapitz Arena being a special place for college basketball. So it's it's an exciting time, and uh, as I look at where we've been, and uh, I was, you know, you reminisce a little bit, and you look at 2019, I'm like, wow. Seems like yesterday when team went on that run and won in Brooklyn, and now and then you you turn it over and you got a new team and you got young people like Yuri Collins from St. Mary's and you got T.J. Hargrove and you got Javante Perkins, you got Fred Thatch, you got all these local kids. Let alone 
the guy who's leading our team right now, Jordan Goodwin, who is doing an unbelievable job of leading. I wish you could. I wish everybody could have seen how Jordan led our team in Kansas City a week and a half ago, and uh, and what what he's doing to lead our team. It's just it's just fun to be around. Yeah, it's, it's fun to be around young young guys that are playing hard and they're comp- competing every play and every game. It's uh, it's really a joy to be around and. And I give a, a lot of the credit to Travis. Travis, is, Travis Ford and his staff have done a great job of putting together a team that really represents St. Louis, like you're talking, Tom. And uh, from the minute Travis and I first met in a hotel in Denver when we were interviewing for coaches, he said right away we got to put we have to put our flag down in St. Louis. And he talked about Jordan Goodwin the first minute we met. And um, Jordan has done such a fantastic job of really leading his team and leading his teammates and being a good teammate and helping his guys. It's it's really been fun to watch his evolution into not only being a heck of a leader, but, boy, he's playing his tail off. He can offensive rebound like I've never seen before out of a, out of a guard. Oh, he's a tremendous competitor for – he listed as 6'3". Uh, and Collins is – that's recruiting – you know, Travis Ford identified it, said we're going to get St. Louis kids. He goes and gets the guard out of St. Mary's, who is also yep. a very good fit for his program. And that's the other thing is this team is deeper now. You know, I look at last year, and that was a great run. And the last few years of Travis Ford uh, on the bench, it's just been, you know, you've had some players in and out for various reasons, and you just haven't had the offensive depth. Now you've scored 80 points, what, five times already? Yeah, we've got some, we we've got a bunch of options, and that's what's fun is uh, we've we've been uh, we've been a little thin, and uh, now we've got some depth. And so, what's really exciting to watch is how these kids care about each other, they believe in each other, and they really have a good time with each other. These kids like each other; they really like going to battle with each other. And when you have that, when you have a team that really believes in each other. Great, great things can happen, and that's uh, that's I think what we see right now developing with this team. What about Lisa Stone's team, which took Kansas to overtime? It actually had a lead at halftime. Kansas came back in the second half and made a game of it, and then it went to overtime. And KU beat SLU last weekend, sixty-eight sixty. But uh, your women's team is tough, isn't it? Yeah, Lisa's done a really nice job. We've gotten we've got gotten significantly better. She. Um, we had Kansas 11 and 0. We had we missed a shot with 10 seconds to go for the win in regulation and got beaten overtime. But Lisa is really developing a competitive women's team that we think has a shot to finally now compete at the top of the A10. She had a really good team two three years ago. They played well, but this team, led by Brooke Flowers, a local product, uh, who's doing such a great job. Kaija Harbison, who's who was the freshman of the year last year in the A10. Um, She's got a chance. Uh, this team's got a chance. You know, I, I follow these uh, metrics all the time in, in the RPIs, and I, I follow the real-time RPI. And the men, there's four teams in the top 50 in the A10, and the men's side um, were one of, the, one of them. Uh, we're the top RPI, real-time RPI on the women's side. I think we're 46 this morning. And so even though the women are 7-5, and five, they've lost a couple games. They've lost a couple games to some really, really good teams. And uh, they play Indiana State tomorrow, and then they, they're back home to kick off the A-10 season next Saturday against Davidson. But Lisa Stone's got a team that we got a shot. 
Uh, we really do. She's done a nice job of putting this team together. A couple local products, Lauren Hughes. Jada Stewart just became eligible. Jada's going to be a big, big part of our team. And we've got a freshman that everybody needs to watch, and Rachel Kent. Rachel Kent can flat-out shoot it. She's out of Chicago. She is special. But uh, Lisa's put together a really uh, exciting team, college basketball and women's basketball. I learned when I moved to St. Louis how great high school basketball girls is in this city. And you saw all the all the tournaments just finishing up the biz tournament last night. And I was in all these gyms when I moved here when our oldest, uh, Lucy, was playing. And I saw how exciting high school basketball is in this city. And I'm like, there's no question we can do it on the college side. And Lisa Stone has done a really good job of bringing energy and bringing a competitive uh, nature to our women's team that we, quite honestly, had never had. And I believe she's building right now with the foundation that has a chance to make put us in the upper echelon and really start competing nationally. Chris May is with us. We have about a minute to go. By the way, you read my mind. You already answered my question about the top four in the A-10. I still think the NCAA tournament, you can get four in. Your automatic uh, A-10 tournament winner and then some at-larges because of how highly rated you are. But in our final 30 seconds or so, is there another, uh, this is unfair for you, but is there another program that you'd like to highlight in our final moments? Well, we've got, it's not fair because we've got so many. <laughs> Obviously, our baseball team's been great. What everybody needs to know is that Shape It's Arena is the place to be this winter. Yep. And you got Bethune-Cookman tonight, but then we got A-10 starting on the road. But then next weekend, we got UMass. We got GW. We got Dayton, who's a top 20 team. I'll be there for Indiana UMass. Coast. I'm looking forward to that. Well, we look forward to having you. But as you know, not a better place to watch college basketball. We welcome and encourage all St. Louis sports fans. And there's no better sports city in the country, without a doubt, than St. Louis. And we can't wait to uh, kick this year off and get it going in Shafitz Arena. You're going to have six sports venues within a 10-minute drive of each other. Shafitz Arena is one, and Worldwide Technology Raceway is the other. We're going to talk to Chris Blair next hour. Chris May, we appreciate it very much. Hey, Tom, I appreciate it. We look forward to seeing you, and Happy New Year. Take Happy care. New Year to you. There's Chris May, the athletic director at St. Louis University, back next hour. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.